God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather to worship you, to enjoy you, to enjoy each other, to enjoy your word. God, I pray that you would make your word come alive for us today by the power of your spirit. God, I pray for those who are still trying to figure out what they want to do with you and who you are and, and, and what it might look like to follow you. God, I pray that you would grip their hearts. Lord, I pray for those of us who've been following you for a long time. And yet our hearts get cold and our hearts get distracted, even as David was reading about in that passage. Lord, I pray that you would dial us in. I pray that you would warm us up. God, I pray that you would help us to see you and savor you and love you and enjoy you and spread the hope that we have in you uh, to every man, woman, and child that we meet. Amen. All right. Um, We are in the middle of a series on hope. And we are talking particularly about the hope that we share as passionate pursuers of Jesus Christ, that we have a distinct hope, we have a revolutionary hope. And when I say hope, I don't mean like wish or longing. I mean a firm confidence in the promises of God fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. We have this hope and we're gathered together and we're bound together by our calling and our opportunity to share this hope with the world. So that is what this series is about in general. And and last week, I began like kind of a two-part message. You think I go long? Well, this one, I I broke it up because I love you. Um, Last week, we we began talking about this process of growing in hope, of growing as disciples, of ultimately becoming these these people who reproduce other disciple-making disciples. And kind of to kick that off, we began with the Great Commission. These closing words of Jesus' ministry before he ascended into heaven, where he called his disciples to go and to make disciples of all nations, of all ethnicities, of every kind of person that you could possibly imagine. All right, so, so it's a call not just to the religious. It's a call not, not just to those who are already culturally Christian and not just to people who look like us. Okay, this is... This is a call that that Jesus made as he addressed it. He was speaking to to a relatively homogenous group. They were all Jewish. Um, uh, Most of the crowd was was pretty young. And yet he specifically said, I don't want you to just take this to Jews. I want you to take this to all nations, to all ethnicities, to all kinds of people. So it's a call to every single one of us, young and old, rich and poor, women and men, as spiritual insiders, to do everything that we can to bring this hope to those who are gospel outsiders, those who do not know the hope that we have. And again, it's a call to all of us to take this message to everyone. This news of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus in our place for our sins so that we could be reconciled to God by grace through faith. Okay? That is daunting. If if you haven't caught how daunting it is yet, then you need a little bit more imagination. You need need to realize that everybody means everybody. Okay? We're, We're talking Hindus and Buddhists, Muslims and Mormons. We're talking people of all nations. We're, we're, we're talking people just within this community. Like each of you, 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 live, you live in a certain city and you understand its culture a little bit better. And, and if you're from Ann Arbor, then, you know, kind of what's the deal with Ipsy? And you're, if you're from Ipsy, like, why are they so snooty in Ann Arbor? And if you're from Celine, you know, you know it's, we're, it's different. Even crossing those bridges is intimidating. 
Crossing bridges of age is intimidating. You know, like, like we're mixing and mingling after, after church, and like the college people are like, well, how do I relate to the, the old people who are like, you know, like 27 and married? Like, 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 like do I call that guy Mr.? You know, and, and, then, and then the 27, they're like in that sweet spot where they're like still confident and they're not feeling aging and whatnot. And they're, they're a little bit more versatile. You get a little past that, you know, you get to like 29 and you have your first kid and you're like, I am so not cool anymore. And, and, and how am I going to be able to relate to these young people? It's daunting. It's intimidating. It's, it's complicated. And yet God has called us to share our hope with everyone, to go and to make disciples. And again, it's not just that we share our hope or we share this message, but that we would be supernaturally used by God to see people who are completely disinterested in spiritual things transformed into these crazy zealots who are eager to carry the hope to somebody else. Because the the fruit of a disciple is not another disciple. The fruit of a disciple is a disciple maker. So we're looking to move people through this audacious spectrum from spiritual outsiders with no interest to to, to those who are joining us in God's work of of reproducing other disciple-making disciples to the ends of the earth. This is not something that we can do in our own strength. This is something that we need to do in the the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're talking about that today, but but also last week and, and this morning, I just want to take this, this big, long, complicated process, and I want to begin to break it down. I, I want to begin to give us some categories, some, some place markers in this process, some diagnostic tools that we can use to say, okay, where am I at? And, and where are the people that God has given me to love at? And, and what do they need? And what would it look like to help them move along in this process? So, Last week we looked at the first two stages and we talked about this reality that we all begin as outsiders. And that kind of spiritual outsider status, it, it takes different forms in different people. You know, so some are atheists, some are agnostic, some are antagonistic, some are just indifferent. You know, maybe you're hostile to the things of God. Like, you know, there's, there's, there's places where I go in the community and people, and people like me, you know, some people think that I'm at least a little bit charming, and then they find out that I'm a pastor and there's this coldness. You know, there's this, there's this wall, this hostility, because uh, along with the association of a pastor, they, oh, this guy's bigoted, and this, this person isn't going to love these people well, or this, person, this person's over here on, on this spectrum politically, and I don't like this person, and I don't trust this person. I don't know if I want this person in my school. I don't know if I, that sort of thing. Some people are just really openly hostile to the things of God. Many more people are just profoundly indifferent, like... What do I care? You know, let's, let's, let's talk about baseball. Let's, let's, let's talk about basketball. Let's talk about golf, you know. Let's talk about NASCAR. Yeah, I'm here for you, team. I don't know who wants to talk about NASCAR, you know. But many are just indifferent. It takes different forms. But there's this reality that every single one of us begins as a spiritual outsider. Even if you're like me and you grew up in this little house on the prairie kind of Christian home, you know, where I I say prairie because, man, it was rural, rural, rural. I grew up from the youngest age, as early as I can remember, believing in God. From a very early age, understanding the gospel. 
And yet there's a reality that regardless of their background, there was a time when you had some confusion about who God is and about what the gospel is and about what God has done for us and why Jesus died and all of that. We were on the outside. What what does an outsider need? An outsider needs to see and experience the love of God. They need to see and experience the love of God in the gospel and through God's people. They need to hear of God's love in the gospel. They need to hear this message of redemption. But just as importantly, they need to see it lived out. Um, Paul, he, he talked about this reality that um, when, when he was talking to the Thessalonians about sharing his faith with them, he says, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, says, we loved you so much that we delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. We, we weren't just sharing words with you. We were inviting you into our lives. It's this idea of Christian hospitality, Christian community. It's, it's like what Jesus said early in his, his ministry when, when people were beginning to show some curiosity and, and they're like, you know, what, what's your deal? And he says, come and see. Not, not just, you know, I got a message and I'm going to get it out so I can, you know, get on with my day and, and go do something I'm more interested in. No. This message and this hope of redemption, this is the center of my life. And I want to invite you into my life so that you can experience it. I want to love you in such a way that that you can believe that there is a God who loves you even more. That's what an outsider needs. They need to experience and see the love of God in the gospel and in his people. And as they do that, they begin to form connections. They begin to feel welcome and they come to understand the gospel message better and they become explorers. Now, what do explorers need? Explorers need regeneration. In the words of Jesus, explorers need to be born again. They need to be born from above. In the language of Scripture, all of us fallen men and women, descendants of Adam and Eve, were were born into this world physically alive but spiritually dead. Our hearts are naturally cold and disinclined towards the things of God, disinterested, hostile, whatever it is. All of us are in this spiritual condition, what the Bible refers to as spiritually dead. As for you, you were dead in your sins. But what? God made you alive in Christ. Okay, that's what's needed. Regeneration, that that God brings spiritual life where there is spiritual death. That God would open our eyes to see his glory, to see him as more beautiful and valuable and good and worthy of our devotion than anything else in all creation, anything else that we might chase after. That God would supernaturally stir us from, from cold indifference of spiritual death to white hot joy of new life in Christ. And so when we see people who are beginning to explore the gospel, we continue to love them. We continue to seek to clarify the gospel. But most of all, we pray that God would move. That God would do in them what what we cannot do. I can't make dead people live, but my God can. And so I beg him to do what only he can do. That God would soften hearts, that he would open eyes, that he would give faith so that these explorers would become followers. Another word for followers is disciples. 
in our culture, we, we, we talk a lot about being Christians. And in the church, sometimes we talk about being Christians because that's like the, the cultural category that we understand. But Christian is not a word that gets used much in Scripture. It's, it's used like three times as a little throwaway. What's used in Scripture is the word disciple, and it means follower. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus for the purpose of becoming like him. A disciple is a learner who, who has this desire to, to learn about God and, and to teach others everything that they learn. Okay, that's, that's, what, that's what a follower is, and, and that's that next stage in the process. So last week was, was outside of explorers. This week, followers, members, and reproducers. When Jesus called his disciples, he said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Up until that moment in their lives, these early disciples, they were, they were fishers of fish. That's, that's what they did for a living. They, 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 they spent their, their days and their nights catching fish. That's how they fed their family. And, and, and when they went home in frustration that they didn't catch enough fish, they, they, they daydreamed about how can I catch more fish. They spent their time strategizing. How do, I, how do we cast the nets better? How do we mend them better? We need to pray more before our fishing. Yes, probably. How, how, can, how can we catch more fish? Jesus says, you guys have a skill set. You guys have a tenacity. You guys are hard workers, and you've been applying that all of your life to the catching of fish. But, but from now on, you're going to be fishers of men. He says, come follow me. And I'm going to change you. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to reorient your life. I'm going to give you new purpose and new passion. I'm going to cause you to become like me and to join me in my mission in the world. When he says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, what was Jesus doing? Jesus was going fishing. Jesus in that moment was fishing for men and he says, come follow me and I'm going to teach you to do the same. I'm going to train you to do the same. I'm going to transform your desires from the inside out until your greatest longing is to do the same. So that you can join me in this task of redeeming and recreating people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation throughout the world. We see this similar call to follow in the language of the Apostle Paul. He told his disciples in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Or in other translations, it says, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. How audacious is that? How, how beautiful is that? What a calling we have. Not that Shannon would reproduce a bunch of little Shannons or Rob a bunch of little Robs or Jillian a bunch of little Jillians but that we would be living lives in such a way that when people draw near to us, when people spend time with us, yeah, they become more like us, but the end game in the process, man, if, if they move towards being more like us, without even realizing it, they're becoming more like Jesus. That's amazing. I want that. I want that for my kids, you know? For the people who spend time with me, I want them to be more like Jesus just because they're with me. But that begins with this, with this choice to follow. 
this, this beginning of this journey of following Jesus and of, of following the spiritual leaders that, that God places in our lives. What does a follower need? The first thing a follower needs is they, they need help learning how to follow Jesus. We could spend a sermon series on that, but, but just a couple of ideas. A new follower of Jesus and all of us as followers of Jesus, we need help learning how to handle God's word. We need help figuring out what does it look like to get to know my God through the revelation that he's given. When Paul was writing to Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, he, he told him, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. He says, as, as we follow Jesus, in a sense, we're going to work. And, and your tool is the word of God. That's the tool you need to learn how to handle. So like, you know, much is made that, that Jesus was a carpenter. Okay, so he knew how to use a hammer. A plumber knows how to use a, a plunger. A, an athlete, a basketball player, they know how to use a ball. They know how to dribble. A baseball player knows how to swing a bat. And, and if they want to make it to the next level, if they want to continue to grow, if they want to thrive as a baseball player, they're going to need reps with that bat. The, the way that you become a great hitter is by getting in there and striking out a lot. You know, you start by setting the ball right on the tee and you take some hacks and you miss. And you're embarrassed, but you do it again and you do it again until eventually the hand-eye coordination comes in there and you can hit the ball off a tee which is nothing at all like hit, hitting a ball that's moving through the air. But you keep on working at it, and, and, and it's, it's a difficult process. But there's joy in that process of growing in your skill, of growing in your passion, of, of being transformed in, into this athlete that you desire to be. Likewise, in the kingdom of God, our, our tool is the word of God. And, and God tells us, I want you to learn how to handle it. You know, I, I want you to be like that, that basketball player that, that carries the ball to class every day because you just want to have it in your hand. You know, you, you, you want to have a feel for it. You, you want it to feel like an extension of your body. That's how God wants us to treat his word, that it would be always on our lips, that, it would, that, that we would talk about it when we sit at home and when we walk along the road, when we lie down and when we get up, that we didn't press it on our children, on and on. The scriptures go on about how... how our lives are just intertwined with Scripture. So a follower of God, they, they need help in learning how to handle God's Word and to get to know God through it. Um, second thing they need, they need to learn how to walk with God. They need to learn to be empowered by the Spirit. They need to learn to walk in step with the Spirit. A lot of us come from different traditions, and some of our traditions, they really emphasize the Word of God. And some of our, our, our traditions, they, they really emphasize the power of the Spirit and the leadership of the Spirit. And frankly, it's hard to do both well. There's spiritual opposition to doing both well because, man, if we can do both well, if we can have our minds transformed by the Word of God and we can have our, our hearts empowered and, and our lives directed by the Spirit, man, that is a force for the kingdom. And, and so we're, we're helping people with both. Um, Jesus, in, in John chapter 15, he, he talks about abiding in the vine. He talks about staying connected to him. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. The man who remains in me, if a man remains in me, and I in him, 
he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So he creates this metaphor. He says, I'm a vine, you're a branch. If, if, you, don't, if you don't walk with me, if you don't stay connected with me, if, if, you don't, if you don't live your daily life in fellowship with me, he says like you're a branch of a tree that's been broken off. Okay? You're, you're, you're a branch of a, fruit, a fruit-bearing vine that's been broken off. I don't know if it counts as a vine, but the, the kind of fruit that I want is raspberries. Okay? If I'm going to get raspberries, I can't like break the thing off and throw it to the side. That just doesn't work. The branch needs to stay connected. And so we in our lives, we need, to, we need to walk with God. We need to stay connected with God. We need to live in submission to his spirit. And as we grow as followers, we need to help each other figure that out. So what does a follower need? First, they need help learning how to follow. Second, a follower needs to ask, how does a follower of God relate to the people of God? How does a follower of God relate to the people of God? And if you're an American, this is countercultural. Because we look at our entire lives through a lens of independence. You know, that's the sort of thing that we celebrate and we, we set off fireworks. I am an individual. But when we read through scripture, we find that almost every reference to you is plural. When we see instructions in scripture, it's it's very rare that they're going to a single individual. They're, They're almost always going to the entire body of Christ. And these commands that we see are corporate. So you could read any letter of the New Testament, but, but I'll talk about Ephesians for a second. Read through Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2 this afternoon, and what you're going to see is that Paul lays out the beauty and the glory of our salvation. And as he does so, absolutely everything is plural. He says that, that God chose us. He predestined us. He adopted us. In him, we have redemption. You know, not you over there alone in your quiet time. No, in him, we have redemption. We were dead in our sins. But he made us alive. We were saved by grace. Not just you individually, but all of you together, all of us. Paul goes on in chapter 2 to, to explain the profound and historical divisions within the church. That, that God was bringing together Jews and Gentiles, people who were natural enemies, people who hated each other. The the Jews, they referred to everyone who wasn't a Jew as the nations. And it was a derogatory term. You know, anyone who was not a Jew, they were were an outsider. We don't want anything to do with them. That was the mindset. But but God said, no, you guys are missing the boat. I I came to redeem not just Jews, but but all nations. And and so he, he, he talks about this animosity that they had, but he said that his purpose was to create one new man out of the two, thus making peace that despite whatever our differences may be of of age or race or socioeconomic status, that he is knitting together, knitting us together as one. You continue through the book and Paul pleads for unity in chapter 4. He goes on to call them to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ in chapter 5. And then we see how he prays, he prays that for them, that that they would love each other, that they would engage with each other, they would engage in spiritual warfare, not as individual soldiers, but he he pictures them as the phalanx. 
these, if you've been around, you've heard me talk about it before, that they have these shields of faith, but they're, they're not like single combat round shields, you know, where you've got your sword and your shield and, and it's just you mano a mano. No, it's these, these broad shields that they have hooks on the side so that you can latch your shield to the shield of the person next to you and so that you can move forward together as the tank of the ancient world. That's, a, that's how we do spiritual warfare, that it's a very corporate activity. Read through the New Testament and you see 59 one another commands. Love one another, forgive one another, be patient with one another, bear with one another, be devoted to one another, honor one another. Again, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In a thousand ways, the Christian life is a communal life. The life of a follower of Jesus is, is, has very little individualism and so much love and care and deference to their brothers and sisters in Christ. You simply can't live in obedience to the commands of God unless you're living in the community of God. So the follower of God needs to wrestle with what does it look like for a follower of God to relate to the people of God. Again, Paul, writing in Ephesians, he says that we consider all of these things so that the body of Christ may be built up together. How does a follower of God relate to the people of God? As we we answer that question, we become increasingly healthy and functioning members of the body of Christ. We find our place in it. We contribute to it. Uh, Joseph was highlighting that earlier, that we recently had a members meeting, that we have a membership process. There's this this formal process we go through, you listen to some sermons and, and, you know, let us get to know you a little bit better and sit down and spend some time together. And we work to clarify the gospel and, and clarify this calling that we have so that we can help everyone in this body to move to maturity as members of the body of Christ. Where do we go from there? What does a member need? What do we all need? As members, we need to ask the question, how do I continue to become more like Jesus? and to help other people become more like Jesus? How do I grow as a disciple, and how do I increasingly effectively make disciples? How do I become a mature reproducer? Again, when Jesus called his first disciples, he says, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say, come follow me, and I will have caught you. He says, come follow me and I'm going to change you. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to recreate you. I'm going to change your desires. All of you know how to chase after some passion, some idol, some desire. I'm going to redirect that passion to to reproducing disciples, to building the kingdom of God, to sharing the hope that we have. The fruit of a disciple maker is not a follower, but another disciple maker. Discipleship is following Jesus for the purpose of becoming like him. It's, it's learning with a view towards teaching others what we want to learn. Here's the beautiful thing about being a reproducer. You are one anyway. All of us are reproducing something. Bunnies make more bunnies. Cubs fans make more Cubs fans. You can look at my, my boy in the back of the room as he like, tries to hide himself. But he's got his Cubs hat on, you know? Because Cubs fans make 
Cubs fans. Um, even teenagers, they create culture, they reproduce. The latest viral trend didn't, didn't come from, you know, somebody in their late 20s who came up with a clever idea. It came from a 14-year-old girl, you know, who was just playing around on TikTok, and all of a sudden that thing went viral. We all naturally reproduce. The question is, what do we reproduce? And the goal is that we would reproduce mature followers of Jesus, people who increasingly look like him. If you go back to to the earliest pages of Genesis, we see this call to reproduce. That that God created Adam and Eve and he placed them in the garden. He created them in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Fill it with what? Fill it with the image of God. Because Adam and Eve, they were created in the image of God that they could reflect the glory of God that as they reproduced, that the whole earth, in the words of Habakkuk, would be filled with the glory of God. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, it says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of In my home, as I lead my family, I naturally reproduce fallen humanity. Left my own devices, apart from the Holy Spirit, I am grumpy, I am difficult, I am selfish, and that is the culture that I'm going to reproduce. So I need to continually submit myself to God, I need to continually go back to His Word, I need to continually be reminded that God has called me to something different, God has called me, God has empowered me by His Holy Spirit, that I can live differently that I can reproduce a different culture that reflects his image and reflects his glory. Practically, what does that look like? Practically, I'm continually looking to Jesus. I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus. I'm I'm looking at who he is and I'm asking, who has he called me to be? What's the portrait of a disciple that he portrays? I look to him, I look at the calling that he's placed in my life, and then I take a quick glance at my life. I don't want to look at my life very long. I want to fix my eyes on Jesus, quick glance down at me, because when I look at my own life, that's depressing. When I look at the pathetic imitation that I am of Jesus, that's discouraging. So I take a quick look at me, and then I look back to my God who is gracious despite me. Amen? And I begin to take steps towards him. Begin to ask the question, what's the next step for me? What would it look like for me to be more conformed to the image of my Savior? And that's the same process I do as a disciple maker. I fix my eyes on Jesus. And I take a quick glance at somebody that I love. And and I see some ways in which their life don't conform to his image. And I I wrestle with what does it look like to lovingly lead my friend towards a closer walk with Jesus. It's all that discipleship is. It's, It's not complicated. Okay? I look to Jesus. I look to my life. I try to bring my life more in line with Jesus. I look to Jesus. I look to your life. I try to help you bring your life more in conformity to the image of Christ. Again, in the words of Paul, follow my example as I as I follow the example of Christ. I want to go back to an image that I mentioned earlier. 
What would it look like? What kind of changes would need to come into your life? So that you could say with Paul, to every person you meet in every day of your life, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Recently we finished the book of Philippians. At the end of that, Paul made an even more bold statement. He said, whatever you have learned from me, or received from me, or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice. Whatever you have learned from me, or received from me, or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. You'll be more like him. What would need to change in your life so that you could present your life to everyone around you and say, hey, I'm not perfect, but I am passionately pursuing Jesus Christ. So if you see something in my life, imitate it. Because as you imitate me, you are going to become like Jesus. What kind of garbage would need to fall out of your life? What kind of virtue and, and, and beautiful habits and pursuits would need to come into your life? How daunting is that? I want us to see the vision that God has called us to so clearly that we are almost crushed by the magnitude of it. And then I want us to fall on the lavish grace of our God. Our God who says, be perfect as I am perfect. While also recognizing just how broken and weak and fallible we are. He calls us to perfection, says, you're never going to hit it, but my grace is going to be there for you every day. The life of a disciple is daunting. Just, just seeking to see my life conform to the image of Christ is overwhelming beyond words. But that's just a sliver of what we've been called to. We've been called to see the life of Christ reproduced in, in every man, woman, and child across the street and around the world. Every step in this process is daunting. You know, when, when, when we talk about reproducing mature followers of Jesus Christ. We don't begin with a bunch of healthy members of the church who, who show up for the class and say, I'm eager, I'm ready, I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever you say, just, just, just tell me what it looks like to equip me. Help me to reproduce better. When we try to call people into the maturity of, of, of being members in the church, we, we don't begin with a bunch of followers of Jesus who are passionately asking the question, hey, what's it going to look like for me as a follower of God to relate to the people of God? When we call people to follow Jesus, we don't, we don't begin with, with explorers who are themselves praying, God, bring regeneration to my life. And when we look to draw people a little bit closer to Jesus, to, to love them in such a way that they would want to explore the Christian faith, we, we don't begin with, with people who have eager questions. We begin with six million people spread around the world who are, who are in large part indifferent or even hostile to our faith. In our own community, we begin with a couple hundred thousand people within five miles of this room 
who are spiritual outsiders, who are indifferent or hostile to our faith. And these are the people whom God has called us to love in such a way that they would not only show up for church and eat a donut with us next week, but that they would, they would become people who themselves are passionately, re, pr, passionately pursuing Jesus Christ and reproducing that passion in others. It is an impossible task in our own strength. And so God calls us to abide in the vine. God calls us to look back to him. God calls us to believe that his grace is true. I want to close where, um, where our scripture reading began. The last verse of the passage that David read, Mark chapter 4, verse 20 where Jesus is talking about gospel seed falling on good soil, and he's using it as a metaphor for the person who's receptive to the gospel. Jesus explained, others, they were like seed sown on good soil. They heard the word, they accepted it, and produced a crop 30, 60, even 100 times what was sown. I want us to understand that God desires for our lives to be fruitful. He wants us to bear good fruit, or to put it another way, he wants us to bear gospel fruit. And because it's gospel fruit, because it's the fruit of good news, it's the fruit of God's grace. So I want you to understand that ultimately the pressure is not on you to produce. Okay? The plant does not produce better fruit because it strains, right? The, the plant produces fruit because, because it's, it's planted in good soil, Be, because, because it lays down roots that dig deeply into the gospel. And as the roots of our life go down deep into the gospel, the fruit of our lives will reflect the gospel, Amen. That's what we're going for. That's what we're hoping for, that we might share our hope with others. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your grace towards us. I thank you for your love towards us. I thank you that though you could accomplish your purposes in the world without us, you have chosen to include us in your work. Though we are like three-year-old kids asking to help you fix the car, you are patient with us and you are gracious with us and you have ordained that, that you're going to build your kingdom on the backs of, of us toddlers. God, I thank you for your humility in inviting us into the work at all. And God, I pray that we would be a humble, delighted, childlike people who are just glad to go to work with Daddy tomorrow. God, may we be a people who hope in your gospel and may other people see our delight and come to share our hope. Amen.